Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... You always have to keep that energy going and you've got to keep growing, right? I mean, every time you have a really good idea that makes you unique, in two or three years, everybody else will have it. So you just need to continually evolve. Dramatic change in his family's circumstances due to his father's early death helped drive young Dexter Dunworth to grasp the light burning within you, as he likes to put it, and never let that light go out. That burning light led him to co-found, with his older brother Dave, an oil recycling business in the late 1970s called Worth Oil that the entrepreneurial pair built up into an empire spanning New South Wales and Victoria. This is long before recycling became part of the economic lexicon. From scratch, with Dexter investing in just one truck in his early 20s, The brothers gradually grew that empire into collection, licensed treatment plants, recycling, then reselling industrial waste oils, with some of Australia's largest companies as their customers. But that crucial question for all entrepreneurs, is there a perfect time to sell up? Well, did the brothers get that right? Take a listen. Here's Dexter Dunworth. Dexter Dunworth, welcome to Build It, They'll Come. And thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you on. Thanks for asking me. Well, now you do have a few entrepreneurial strings to your bow, and we'll get through to some of them later in the podcast. But I want you to take me back to, I guess, really the beginning of your entrepreneurial business journey. You and with your brother, you built a mini empire, if I can call it that, from waste oil recycling back in the, well, the late 70s, 80s and 90s, really before recycling became such an important aspect of modern life and business. Take me back to how that oil recycling business began. Okay, so we both had our own little subcontracting businesses as one-off owner drivers and David Owner drivers of what? Oh, okay. So I I had a contract delivering grog to pubs and bottle shops. My brother had a contract delivering chickens to um, chicken shops from a company called Table Talk at Blacktown. And then we developed- So you had a truck each or something like that? Well, he ran a series of small trucks and I had been away on a two-week holiday that took three years, came back and then went into- um, trucking myself, seeing how it would have worked for him. Then we got together and met a guy at a party who had a oil re-refinery. An oil re-refinery. re-refinery. So where right. you collect old oil from car and truck service centres, factories that use oil and stuff like that, and then you recycle it back into either an industrial fuel or, in his case, he made it back into engine oils. So he approached uh, about putting on a truck, right, got no one to collect oil, got a refinery, obviously I need a product. Sure, so we then both uh, borrowed some money. I borrowed $500. Dave borrowed a bit more 
we bought a uh, truck, built an old truck, and then found- Like a tanker. Yeah, tanker, yeah. Then found out that he actually didn't have any work. So we had to go around- He had and, no customers <coughs> for his re well, he, he may have had customers, but he didn't share them with us. Right. Okay, <laughs> so, so you had to go and look for your own yeah, customers. Yeah, we had to go look for our own, right? So then we started, um, I would do the drive the truck. Dave had a really old ute. He would go ahead of me. So then we went around and just started collecting ourselves, knocking on door, cold calling pretty well. And then to give And up who did you cold call? Car truck service centres, uh, factories, places like that. Right. And then because of the insecurity of what he had given us, um, we then thought, well, we basically need another market, right? So if he shuts the door, we're in big trouble. And Shell, when they had their refinery at Clyde, used to have a similar business where they had their own trucks that would go around and collect old oil. Then they would take it back to the Shell refinery at Clyde and blend it in with bunker fuels, which is fuels for heavy industry and ships. So we spoke to them and they said, sure, yeah, we'll take oil off you. And then- um, This is, sorry to interrupt, Dex, but this is Clyde on the uh, Parramatta River yeah, up correct. the western end of Sydney Harbour. Yeah, yeah. So they used to have a, a uh, petrol refinery there, right? And then um, we got to realise that a lot of places around Sydney actually used to burn used sump oils. So we started- So we got a yard at the Uncliffe, put in our own tanks and just started to basically really do basic treatment for oil and sell it not only to the two refineries but also to laundries and other places like brickworks and things like that. Who, what, could use recycled oil, oil as, a fuel. as a fuel for their furnaces? Or- yeah, yeah, boilers and stuff like that. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> just can I take you yeah, yeah. back a step? Recycled oil, obviously, Shell was doing it. Yeah, a few other people were doing it, but it was still—it still must have been a very new industry at that stage. I, I'd assume so. It would have been relatively new, but it was just a really cheap way of providing a fuel to people that, um, in those days, were allowed to burn oil. Right. So the people who burned it off—that well, was very toxic, I imagine. But it was allowed in those days. Yeah, correct. So yeah. there's nothing illegal about it, right? No, so but you would pick up that that fuel from those different clients, take it to what you had tanks on a piece of land in Arncliffe, did you? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. And then we just settle the oil, strain it, and then sell it to people that had boilers, like, you know, laundries, brickworks, things like that. So they would be saving a lot of money buying oil off us as opposed to off an oil company. Right. About when was this? Late seventies. When, when did you start the business? When did you get your first truck? Seventy eight. Seventy eight. Okay. So by how did you actually make it work? You said you borrowed five hundred bucks. Mm. Was that from family? Was it from the bank? Did you extend your credit card? Did you have a few bank. savings? Bank. Oh, you got a five hundred dollar loan from the bank. Yeah. Well, actually, credit card. It's the same thing, right? Just yeah. one has more interest. Okay, so that was your start. How did you keep funding it? Did you just self-fund it all the time? You didn't yeah, keep correct. borrowing and borrowing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really just to get a start. Yeah. And then the income that we made from the business paid for, yeah, the expansions and things like that. By the time you got your, shall we call it a tank farm, the yeah, recycled sure. treatment yeah, yeah. works, had you needed to borrow more money for that? And were you paying yourselves a salary by then or was it still just such hard work? Oh, well, you always got to pay yourself, otherwise you can't live, right? And the money we were making was pretty good. 
So the majority of it was just pretty well self-funded. When we decided to then become um, a business that is best protected by being vertically integrated, which means you control everything from the top to the bottom, right? Where you're not dependent on some third party where all of a sudden it can go, well, a bit weird. We bought land at South Windsor and obviously we had to borrow money to do that. And then we built tank farm, proper treatment facilities and things like that. And How much did the land at Windsor cost you? Can you remember? Not really. I go off like the top a of couple head, of million? Oh, no, no, no. This is sort of like... 40 years, more than 40 yeah, years ago. Right. So, so yeah, early yeah. 80s by yeah, then, yeah. You're, you're into then, Windsor. Um, then we also found out, yeah, we got into BHP at Port Kembla. Yeah, just picking Tell me up, about that. Just picking up their old oil and then found out that they were using- How did you get that contract? Oh, you knock on doors and talk to people. Yeah. Um, you, I got on pretty well. Can you paint <laughs> me a picture of how you got into BHP? Oh, well, just basically, literally that, just went and saw some- uh, lower middle level management people that were responsible for those things, and then they gave us a go, and then we went in and started collecting oil within the steelworks. Right, right? so they used oil. Yeah, correct. And then we found out once we were in the uh, steelworks that they basically were using products like diesel on to make coal to coke to make coke and coal. Right, so it may be a bit complicated, but in very simple terms, when they make coke from coal. They spray the coal with diesel and put it in an oven and out it increases the density. And then out So the, it burns better. Yeah, yeah. So it burns better. And out at the other end you get coking coal. So we went to them with the idea of, hey, why not try our recycled oil, which is obviously going to be so much more cheaper than the distillate they were using. So how did you know it would improve the burnability of their coke of their coal? The density, Helen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay. Were you a metallurgical I mean, I, engineer? I, I, I'm as technical as you. <laughs> so, well, we basically just employed people that were experts yeah. in whatever ever area it was. Like the one thing we realised that we're we're not the best at anything, right? So you get people that are better than you at whatever it is, and you put put it together, right? So we got some pretty good chems, and then they thought, yeah, this will work. And it's a matter of when you go and approach upper management. If you can walk into someone and say, hey, listen, we can save you millions. They'll sit down and listen to you, right? You came up with this idea to go into BHP and say, we can save you a heap of money by giving you a different fuel to put on your coal to turn into coke and coal. And how much business did they end up giving you? Oh, heaps. <laughs> I mean, it was just insane. So um, we... There were a lot of hurdles yeah. to get through, right? So obviously upper management are go, yay, yay, yay. Then the people that are actually responsible for the product. Right, the <laughs> lower the down the chain. It's sort of like, oh, hang on, mate. Yeah, like, we're up, cowboy. We need <laughs> to really have a good look at this. And then after, you know, multiple months and negotiations and stuff, we did trials. The trials worked, right? And then basically that spurs you on to other ideas, okay? So then we found that um, your coal-fired power stations, you know, the really groovy places now, <laughs> actually use diesel to spray on their coal to get the furnaces going, right? And then once they're going, then they don't need the diesel, they just pump coal in. But they use a hell of a lot when they use it, To right? ignite it, more or less. Yeah, 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 to get it going. So similar thing, we approached them. Um, 
took a while to, to get a gig. Sure, you can have a trial. So um, to cut a, to to make it very simple, so when you collect different types of oils, some are thinner than others, right? So for want of better expression, your thicker oils went down to BHP, right? And your lighter because they were burning a dissolute fruit with a different um, requirement, right? Went to the um, power stations. So in the Hunter Valley or yeah, wherever, yeah, Hunter yeah. Valley. Yeah, all pretty close. Yeah. And then um and that worked, right? So we had Wow. The um I was gonna say crappy stuff, but it's a bit offensive to our friends in Wollongong, but one grade for them and another grade for them. Then um we also then thought, you know what, we're gonna to go to Melbourne and start our business down there. So what happened when you went to Melbourne? I mean, were your competitors happy for you to come into a new market? Oh no, they definitely made it very clear that they would do what they could for us not to succeed. So some of your competitors in Victoria well, basically made it clear. Yeah, multinationals made it clear they'd crush you. Well, that we definitely weren't welcome. No Christmas cards for dicks. The greatest compliment you can have in business is your competitors to hate you. Right, that means if they like you, it's sort of like you're no threat, yeah? Yeah. So anyway, so, um, yeah, we... We went to Melbourne and um, basically same sort of thing, you know, car trucks, service centres, all those sort of things. Picking now, up their old oil. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then did you start a treatment facility down there? How did you recycle? Down, down the track, so same sort of thing. So, you know, just that really um, basic tank farm type thing and then um, we bought and a- Sorry, how would you recycle it? What, what did that like? process actually involve? Was this the separation of the heavier oil from the lighter oil in a tank and well, you just it, scrape it, off the- Yeah, yeah. So it, it initially, right, when we started, it's just you put it in a vertical tank. Um, oils have different specific gravity, so in other words, they separate. Yep. Like when you're cooking, you know, the yeah. water goes to the bottom, the oil floats on top. Well, it's the same sort of thing. Then different grades of oil over time will basically separate in that and then you just have takeoffs at different levels depending on what you want. Does that sort of make sense? Yep. Yeah. And then as we progressed into the uh, the BHP and uh, um, power stations, then, yeah, we got chemical engineers in and, and we had to come up with products that were actually – had a specification and that we always met. So that also then resulted in us treating the stuff that we couldn't um, on a sill, right? Like you say, you really, your waters and some of the, um, you know, byproducts that came out of that. Was there a secret source to how you were scaling up the business, how you were growing it? You must have been doing something right. Did you ever work out what your kind of secret ingredient, your secret source was? I think it's just seeing opportunities. And what, grabbing them? Yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know. But it, it sounds like you made a lot of opportunities for yourselves. Well, you look for them, right? I think anything that stays stagnant, you know, will cave from within. You always have to keep that energy going and you've got to keep growing, right? I mean, every time you have a really good idea – that makes you unique and gives you an edge. In two or three years, everybody else will have it. And so you just need to continually evolve. 
take just step back a little bit further. When you and Dave started, this is your brother Dave, did you ever actually have a business plan? This is what we're going to do. We're going to go into the oil recycling business and we're going to get bigger and we're going to expand here and this is our plan, how to do it? Uh, probably as in-depth as what you've just said. <laughs> so, I mean, all these things you don't know, right? So you meet a guy at a party, they say, you want to do this, we do this, and then that doesn't work out. So, well, okay, what are we going to do? And we do this. It just So it you wasn't know. really ever a grand plan. It no, was, it wasn't, you know, start of A and finish at Z. Yeah. You know, it was just as as it evolves, you, your journey changes, right? We'll grab these opportunities yeah, and I as think we most, go. Most entrepreneurial businesses are like that. You know, the vision that you may have on day one is going to be very different than the reality in day a thousand or whatever. Yeah. Before you got into the oil business, you said you were delivering things. What were you delivering? So you, you said grog to yeah, pubs bottle, and shops bottle shops and pubs. That was just like a subcontractor to a guy that had. Um, that was just the, you and your truck at that yeah, stage. Yeah, correct. And then after that was flowered at. Uh, cake shops and bakeries. Right. And then after that, we bought the um, the, the tanker. Yeah, you know, the to do the oil business. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that in those very early years, um, you know, the hours, certainly delivering bags of flour to bakeries that, you know, often have to start at three in the morning uh, would not have been easy hours. Was was it hard work in those early years? Oh, or how hard was the work? Okay, so... I think hard's a really bad word, right? So if you're achieving goals and if you're in your perception being successful, nothing's hard, right? So were the hours long? Yeah, they were mental, Um, but the rewards were there. So I don't think there was um, anything negative. There was no negativity in anything right. that we did, right? It's, everything's just a positive, right? It's just... Um, so you're making good money even in those early years. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping forward, you, you started to talk about we're going to sell the um, oil business. Was it growing in terms of employees, in terms of revenue, obviously? Um, what sort of stage did the oil recycling business get to? Uh, so, Look, specifically, I can't remember, but we basically ended up with um, 75 tankers um, and, you know, multiple treatment facilities and that sort of thing. So it it ended up being quite big. Shell, Mobile, Trans-Pacific bought our business, the oil part out. We kept the wastewaters. Right. And then went into, you know, our mates at BHP. Hello, remember me? (laughs) And then basically set up a oily water treatment plant on their facility. For those of us who don't understand what oily waters really means, mm. what are they? Exactly what you just said. So, so, so they're waste out of industrial sites that, yeah, that yeah, are basically water, but they have oily and yeah, gunky stuff in them. Yeah, right, and right. Stuff toxic like chemicals and, as you well. Know, sludges and all those right. sort of things, right? And then, um, and then also went to large companies, and then basically instead of them having all their waste go off-site at great cost, we would approach them about, look, we will build, own and operate a treatment site on your facility at the you know, five years or whatever the period may be, and then after that, you know, chores. So that also secured all those sort of jobs from wow. people that would tender for whatever. You, know, you just have a different approach and just 
Yeah. How lucrative did that expansion become? I Yeah, it, it all became uh, financially, you know, good, beneficial. But I think in, in it also means that um, <clears throat> at the end of the day, if your goal is to, to get out and sell and stuff like that, um, it's good because you have a very strong, secure base. Yeah. And the company we eventually sold to was a um, company called Tox Free from Perth, public company. They wanted to expand. Tox Free Solutions, WA company. Yeah, they wanted company. to, um, you know, expand and get into the East Coast and the easiest way to do that is to buy something that's established and doing really well. Yeah. So Which is did, what happened. And how? what happened? They approached us about buying the business and then, we just obviously went through the process and came up with a price that was, you know, more than acceptable. And I mean, they pay a premium because they want the uh, the market share. So, what did they end up paying you, if you don't mind me asking? Seventy-two. Seventy-two million. Seventy-two million dollars in cash they paid you. Mm. Were you happy with that? I think it'd be hard not to be. <laughs> And at this stage, Dex, was it still essentially you and your brother? Were there other yeah, shareholders? Yeah, no, no. So there were, there were other- Or um, investors? Yeah, well, partners, right? So I think all the key people had some shareholding, right? That That's how it works really well, yeah? And, um, and it was just a, a system where we had- We knew it was good because we had very little labour turnover, which is normally a sign of people not being happy, you know, if you, and um, yeah, we paid everybody really well, and everyone benefited. So, how many employees did you have when you? Couple of hundred. Couple of hundred employees by the time you sold, yeah. and that was only in 2016. You sold, yeah. So only in the last what six years Five ago, years, I guess. Yeah. Now, um, you had sort of stepped back a little bit from the business, but was your brother the dominant shareholder, or yeah, correct? Roughly, what percentage yeah. did you have of the ownership? I ran. 15 to 20, but it was more sort of there were other things that we did as well. Right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it was, it was just something that was incredibly beneficial because I stepped out. I've had, you know, multi, you know, a few marriages, that sort of thing, so I needed to change things on the way through. And, um, yeah. It, it's interesting because often entrepreneurs don't find the right time to sell. Some obviously do, and and it's perfect timing for you. Was it a and your brother and the other shareholders? Was it a hard decision, or was it in fact great? We made the right decision, and you've never regretted it. Correct. Yeah, it was so one the of latter. Those, yeah, the timing was perfect, and I mean, I'd started to find other interests and stepped right out. Um, and yeah, I think we'd all sort of like time to move on. It wasn't as if family, you know, kids and stuff like that were interested or anything like that. So it was a good time to to sell. I think um, one of the other things that be- has become very evident with a lot of people that have really good businesses is succession. Succession's a really hard, a really hard deal, you know. And Did that you think three about generation with, thing, yeah. oh, not really. I mean, the three generation thing, it makes sense. I mean, the next generation don't have the energy or whatever it is that got it to where it is, and um, then I guess you get resentment and all that sort of stuff of people walking in at the top. So the easiest thing's just to get out. How did you come up with the name, and what was the name of the business? Worth. So it's the last half of 
my surname, right? So before, way before that, my brother was in partnership with a guy called Peter Wadsworth, right? So it was the last half of the surnames. And then when they split up and Dave went on his own with the other stuff, then I, when I came in and we started, obviously we had the same surname, so we just kept that. And what was the name of the business? Worth, W-O-R-T-H, like Dunworth, Worth, yeah. Yeah, Worth Oil. It sounds very grand. It actually sounds very um, sort of multinational Texan oil giant, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, JR. Yeah, JR. <laughs> For those that are old enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, may not remember Dallas. So when you were running the business, both of you mm. mainly, how did you differentiate your product? The area of oil we went into was very small and very niche, right? Um, it was really a absolute minor sideline for major oil companies. They did it because they sold the stuff and they sort of had an obligation to get rid of it. Uh, we came in and I guess hit it the best that we could. We started to actually take market share from them. They um, Obviously, if you can put something in your fuel, it costs you nothing to get. Um, yeah, and you start losing that, it started to fix your profits and things like that. And anyone that appears to be good or successful can be a threat down the road. So I suppose it was a matter of, hey, you know what, let's try and nip them in the bud yeah. before they get um, too big or whatever. Yeah. Before you started down this path, this business path, had you been to uni? Had you done your study? Yeah, so left school, went to Jerry's our Catholic boarding school, Hunters Hill, which was absolutely awesome. Uh, went to uni for a few years, realised it wasn't me, thought, you know what, I'm not a corporate type person, I'm not going to yeah, sit in an office and all that sort of stuff. So uh, went away for a two-week holiday, came back three years later and then um, came back and I thought, well, okay, so you, you say your wild oats and do all the crazy stuff that you're meant to do, at, you know, like 2021 type thing. Then I uh, thought, yeah, okay, so I and my brother both just really young. Know, we just wanted to be really successful. Our dad died when I was really, really young. Mum lost everything. Uh, she had a really hard life. And um, I think, you know, none of us wanted to have a life like that. And we all wanted just to be successful. So that was your big aim. To be successful. That's it, yeah. So to be able to have the things that, yeah, most people have and it was, um, yeah, that's that's the driver. Yeah. That's why it didn't really matter, you know. It's, it's not so much what you do. Um, it's the attitude of which you do things. What were your markers of success at Worth Oil? Can you sort of think about yeah, them? Yeah. I mean, obviously the sale price at the end is a pretty strong yeah, marker yeah, of okay. success. So, 72 million bucks in cash. So I suppose um, the things you achieve on the way, right? So the things that you obviously can see that mean you're getting on the road, right? So even though, you know, driving a, you know, a dirty truck and looking filthy and all that sort of stuff, but, you know, like at 23 I bought my first home. At 24 I was, a, you know, a father. Um, I was making great money and could pay a mortgage off wife that didn't work and then another kid comes along and all those sort of things. So the obvious um, material benefits of success 
were rolling in front of me, right? So that in itself is enough just to to keep going and give you the self-satisfaction of, um, you know, continuing. Do you look back on those days at Worth Oil mm. and think we really did achieve a lot there? Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose um, for me it's not so much, you know, Worth Oil achieving a lot. It's It's really... A journey within myself, you know. It's it's um, being better. It's never coming second. It's um, it, it achieving. It's just you know that that drive, that energy, like keeping the light within you, just sort of like poweringly <laughs> burning. So it doesn't matter necessarily what you do. It's a it's a journey of discovery and fulfilment within you. Does that make sense? It definitely makes sense. And, in fact, I, I want to explore that a little bit more. Yeah, okay. um, it sounds like a good spot to take a break. So we'll be back, hopefully, with Dexter Dunworth for part two of our discussion. Thanks, Dex. Pleasure. Next week in part two, after trailblazing in industrial waste recycling, this unusual business founder wanted to pursue other strings to his entrepreneurial bow. So Dexter Dunworth became a boxer on the professional US circuit and not at the age of 20, not even at the age of 30, but would you believe at the ripe age of his early 50s? That story next week. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.